that is not me. That's not my style of learning. And that's why I truly believe I'm an entrepreneur is because I have to be doing something in order to like grasp it. School was very difficult for me. Lecture style, reading my information didn't work. Like I had to get in there and practice. So it made no sense for me to think that I would sit down and just like receive these messages. Instead, I started to use um, my body and use tools, like physical representations. For me, that was tarot to start, um, and which I still do and practice every day. From there, once I started to exercise it, I learned what my intuition would tell me through my body. So the sensations I would get and, you know, what it felt like in my stomach, what it felt like in my shoulders. Like I started to learn my body's clues because I was giving it the space to learn in the way that it's used to learning. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you will see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and it is a pleasure as always to have you here. You all know I am all about that high vibe energy, but also keeping it real. So if I'm not feeling very high vibe, I won't fake it. But if I'm feeling all that good energy, that high vibe-ish, you best believe I'm going to live it up. And something I wanted to touch on in regards to this high vibe mood per se is an interesting little tidbit I've been thinking about lately. So the other day I was watching Stephanie Buttermore on YouTube. It was her all-in video, which is basically a concept of allowing your body to eat as much as it needs slash wants without restricting. At least that's what I got from it. And it's in hopes of bettering your health and natural hunger cues, restoring hormones, etc, etc. And at the one point in the video, she and loved ones were saying how much better her mood and overall personality is now that she's not hungry or obsessing over food all the time. And I was like, hells yes. So many people in the recovery space already talk about this. But I just felt such a pull to discuss it before this, in this intro, because I've been thinking about it yesterday and today and figured why not bring it up, plus it really aligns with today's guest. So like when you're not constantly living in a place of fearing foods or restricting, counting calories or obsessing over fitness or hating on your body, etc, etc, you have so much more space in your mind for what actually matters. You have more natural energy, and best yet, you start feeling that high vibe, aka your mood just improves a bit, you know? (laughs) Now, I'm not saying this is like pure science fact, I don't know, but generally, like when you care for your body in the way it needs, your personality and your mindset just changes. So this high vibe, energetic, woo-woo bish, fun podcast host that you're listening to aka me, was not like this two years ago. I swear, like, my high school comrades probably don't recognize this personality, and that's why I feel weird when I see them in person, because now I'm like, woo! And back then, I was just, like, crickets, so silent and shadowed by my ID, 
by my ED and other shit. So like, sure, I have my low days. Hell, I'll even have like a whole week of low times. But otherwise, I'm like, fucking funfetti or a sparkler or a hurricane. I guess it just depends on your perception of me and if my energy is too much or just fun. (laughs) Today it might be bordering on a little bit too much. My apologies. But um, anyway, like I said, this all sort of aligned with today's guest, which is why I wanted to bring it up. She is Kate Van Horn, and as you listen to this episode, you'll hear that something very similar to what I was just discussing happened in her life. So for so long, she battled with her own eating disorder and all this other stuff that happened in her life, but then once she chose to do the work and start recovering and healing past trauma, life happened. Good things, exciting things started to happen. Doors started to open. And since she was clear-minded, relatively healthy, happy, had a clear mind, all that fun jazz that you get with recovery... She was able to take on those opportunities and possibilities and try these things. And because of that, she has now built a beautiful and vibrant and abundant life for herself that we talk all about in this episode. So we really show how she went from one end to the next end, really displaying her journey so that you can relate and pick up tips and tricks and advice along the way. So Kate is the co-founder of The Good Fest and an overall badass businesswoman. She's been through and experienced a lot in her life, but we dive into all of that. This conversation goes in like 101 directions, but that's okay. I just had a lot to ask her. So Kate is first and foremost, to me at least, a radically expansive human. She has done so much inner work to heal past trauma, overcome her eating disorder, discover her authentic voice, and really tap into that intuition. I mean, I'm just endlessly inspired. And in this journey of self-discovery, Kate shares her experience with things such as DBT therapy, removing the conditioning of society, letting go of control, especially with an eating disorder, healing past trauma, and even tarot cards, which is something she really connects with. And besides all of this, you know, more in inner work things, we also do discuss her outer entrepreneurial side. So what it looked like to be a co-founder of The Good Fest, and in that, how she balances logic plus intuition when it comes to business. You guys know I love that combo. And besides all of that, Kate also has a few offerings that we discuss in here too. So she offers business mentor coaching to clients. She has a tarot course that if you're interested in implementing either of those in your life, she's also the creator of in-body immersive movement class. So she is a jack of all trades. I don't know. Is that sexist? Jack. She's, I don't know. Make that feminine. That's what she is. She wears many hats. That's what I should have said. But anyway, sorry, side note. Uh, But what I especially love about Kate is that she's done all of this work and she's willing to openly share and discuss it so that others can grow too, which is why she was the perfect fit for this podcast. And as with everything though, you've got to find what works best for you. So maybe you decide that the therapy we discuss in here sounds interesting, but you don't vibe with the idea of tarot at all. Like that's okay. Take what you want from this episode, leave what you don't, to each their own. But I hope you can relate on some level to this episode, and if you do, let us know. We would love to connect. You can tag us on Instagram, 
Kate is on there at kate.van.horn, and I'm on there at Emily Feichels and Let's Thrive Podcast. Everything will be linked below. And as a quick review of the week, because I appreciate these messages so much, this one is from Nicole. Love listening to Emily and her guests. She is so real and authentic, loving the real and raw topics she brings to life on the pod. Thank you, Nicole. My heart. Such kind words, and I appreciate every little bit of support for the show. You know, whether it's a quick review, you share it on your stories, you tell someone in your real life scenario, social circle, whatever it is, I appreciate it so much. Makes me smile, supports the show, and probably like makes you feel good too, right? To know you're supporting a small biz. So I'll just leave that there for you. (laughs) Uh, But thank you for listening. And without further ado, let's get into this episode. As I said before, I was trying to figure out what topics to really go with with you. And on your website, you have this quote and it reads, discovery does not come without a journey and every journey has a story, which I absolutely love that. It just rings so true and it opens up the door to so much discussion. So my first question for you is what's one discovery you've made about yourself in the past few months, let's say, and that you've you know, had to accept and then work on as well? Great question to start off with. I feel like I've known for a long time that one of my greatest strengths is just resilience and the ability to keep kind of plugging through. Um, And I love that about myself. But what I've also learned recently is that that resilience and strength doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to look like, um, I like to say it fire, like fire element. It doesn't have to look like intensity or it doesn't have to look like anger or um, being really like how we picture a strong woman, super outspoken. There is strength in softness and being not only with myself and how I speak to myself and being super sensitive and compassionate there, but with others, being really loving, being very vulnerable. Um, That is just as strong and steady as the, the old definition of it that I used to have. I like that. And it's so true that as we move through life, we redefine so many things. We can redefine success and, you know, what love looks like and resilience. So that is beautiful. And I'm curious, what would you say is the first step towards accepting, you know, uh, this truth or discovery that we might make about ourselves when we want to grow and evolve? And I mean, it's not always easy to say, you know, oh, this is true about myself, but I need to work on it. So how do you advise someone maybe, you know, take a step towards doing that? I think the first step is acknowledgement that yes, you have a struggle and a story that you're working through, but so does everyone. I think when we're in it and feeling through it and we're in our heads, that's the most isolating place it can be. So while your story might not be identical to those around you, just the quick understanding that like, oh, I am not, you know, the outlier here. Like we are all feeling through and, and working through. And it, the more we just are honest with ourselves and each other about that growth and that involvement, the easier it's all going to be. Like, it's like the elephant in the room if we're not discussing whatever it is that we're struggling through. So bringing more normality, nor, like more normality to that and more um, attention to it is I think step one. Like, it's just like, you know, 12-step programs and anything else, you know, the acceptance and the understanding and the awareness that it even exists. But I think close second to that is it exists among everyone and that you're not, you're not alone. And also, 
I mean, just with everything, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. So it's like, I know when I first started, it was so hard to, you know, just accept it. But then once you do it and you work through it and you grow and evolve, it becomes easier. And then it gets to the point where you're very open, you know, to any sort of self-discovery, self-truth so that you can work on it and grow and evolve. So that is very true. It's, it's like, get the, get the elephant out of the room by just facing it head on. So on the topic of discovery, this is an age where people are really looking within and they want to grow and evolve and expand. It's just like a human being, but oftentimes, I mean, what's been in the case for me and what I've seen in others is that we have so much conditioning put on us by society, you know, from the day we're born to however old we are. So did you experience any of that in your, you know, personal growth journey? And how did you work through that as far as conditioning goes? Hmm. Yes, I think, I think as women, everyone's experiencing conditioning at all times, but as women, even more so maybe. Um, just my first kind of representation of the things I needed to work through manifested into an eating disorder. So the, what was going on in my life that I was avoiding um, the healing work that I didn't feel like tackling was suppressed for so long that it became that. So a lot of my conditioning and kind of core beliefs that I had to work through related a lot to my body and related um, very closely to what I had observed, uh, you know, eating patterns, relationship with food, um, and just body self-talk and and relationship with body in general. Um, and that, And I don't like to place any sort of blame on who or what or where that conditioning came from. It's a, it's a magnitude of things, but that was the first kind of step. And I, and, and I think boundaries and understanding triggers was step number one, understanding who from my friend, friend group during that time when I was in treatment, like weren't serving me, our conversations weren't working for me. Um, It was an unhealthy place to be the environments, the gym was a place that was off limits to me for a long time. And that's, really where it begins is just like accountability and, and knowing that like, yes, it sucks that those outside forces create a problem for us as individuals, but we have to protect ourselves. And that's our, our responsibility. It's not really the responsibility of, of the conditioners, whatever that is. Um, but we can use our voices and we can say what our needs are. We can say what we're observing and how it's, how it's hurting us. And our only hope is that they respond openly. <laughs> So say you did want to have this conversation with, you know, a close friend and you just get along with them so well, everything feels right, but they just, you know, keep throwing this, let's say diet culture at you and you take it for a while. You try not to let it affect you, but it's getting at you. Like, how would you suggest someone approach that conversation to even set a boundary in place per se without, you know, without ruining an otherwise perfectly fine friendship? That's a fantastic question. And it's definitely something you have to handle like pretty lightly and pretty delicately. Um, I feel like for me, beginning the conversation with like, I've experienced this lately, like I've been noticing in myself that when I talk about calories and food or something like that, or good or bad on food, it makes the meal less enjoyable and da, 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 da. And just kind of starting to come from a, a me place. Have you ever observed that in yourself? Because they, they might not realize they're doing it. So when you attack someone and are saying like, you always do this to me, you always make me feel less than, that's going to create a, def- like it's immediately defensive. So I feel like if you can ease into it being like, 
I'm starting to find a lot of relief in speaking to myself differently around fitness. Have you ever thought about that? Do you ever experience that? And open the, the line of communication. If it's not being met with grace or compassion, absolutely, it's time to start to say, for my recovery in this moment and for my mental health in this moment, I'd appreciate if we didn't talk about that. Or maybe our our hangouts weren't, you know, at restaurants if we can't like handle it. Like maybe we just go for a walk and go do something else. Um, starting to make those those new opportunities to hang out outside of like the places that are kind of creating that discussion to begin with. Oh, I love that. What you said about kind of shifting the conversation away from not, you know, you're not intending to attack anyone, but when you start throwing you out there, it can sometimes, you know, we just take it as an off offense, but if we can definitely like shift it to be, you know, this is how it's affecting me. You know, I, I think that way that would be like a powerful, you know, just like we do mindset shifts, that's a good voice shift, I suppose, a conversation shift that could really change the whole dynamic of it. So I, and if it's, if it's met with like curiosity, like, oh my gosh, I've never even thought about doing this differently. You could be growing and helping them like together. It can be more of a, less of a, I need you to stop and more of a let's try as a, as a team. Yeah, because it is true. I mean, we just, you know, some, we just assume people know things and sometimes they do, but a lot of the times it is, it's just conditioning that was put onto them. Like they don't even know they're doing it. So having, coming from that place of compassion and being open to, yeah, even teaching them along the way, like having them grow with you is so valid. And, you know, as far as voices go and just really speaking our authentic truth, which is something I think you do so well. Like, have there been any times in your life where you felt like you couldn't speak authentically or you couldn't like speak for yourself as though, you know, something was really holding you back from finding that like inner voice? I don't know if that makes like, like the way I think of it is I know before when I was in high school and I was deep in my disordered eating, I just, you know, I I never spoke for myself. I never really you know, said what was on my mind. I never really spoke, I guess, my truth. And now I'm just at a place where words come so easily to me and nothing's really off limits. You know, I don't hurt people with my words, but I'm just so, I guess, like confident in my voice that I'm just happy to speak however it be. So did you have to do any of that personal work with yourself? Yeah, I did. I would say that looking back, like, especially in high school when the disordered in college when the disordered eating was really at its peak I was people pleasing very much um and then that would create this bottle up effect where it was like shaking a carbonated bottle and boom and just exploded so I saw this happen most with my um like romantic relationships I feel like feel like those were the most like volatile because those were the most like intimate vulnerable things like that um, so I would kind of want to please and, and be kind of this person that they wanted. And then when it would start to be too much, it was almost suffocating, I would explode. And that usually manifested into anger for me. And then they'd be like, oh my God, who is this like stranger that we didn't know? And then I felt a lot of shame because I showed the side of myself and was less than ladylike maybe. And it was a whole vicious cycle. So that was the first time it really became apparent that like I was living for the approval of others and that my disorder was fueling that and that I wanted to just honestly be loved in the way that I wasn't loving myself. Um, so that was a hard pill to swallow. And then working through that, I, I notice it now in smaller and maybe less intense ways, but even like 
when I first started my brand, it was a food blog. And it felt really good at the time until it didn't anymore. And I had to recognize the same way that my voice felt stifled and my body felt like smaller, you know, in the same ways that I was putting myself in those relationships, totally different contexts, but same like reaction from the body and the mind. I was feeling very like suppressed of my um, like gifts. I didn't feel inspired anymore. And I was like, okay, how much of this is the content I'm trying to put out not feeling good anymore? And, and what do I do now? What's my choice? Which is to speak up, do the hard thing, say, this is not what I'm about anymore and take a completely different direction. Um, so yeah, I think that's a lesson that, that will appear likely for everyone in different ways uh, over and over again until we start to get more and more confident and comfortable in that voice. And luckily the situations and times when it does show up, hopefully as you learn that lesson, get less and less intense. <laughs> I, I'm just smiling so big because that's just so me right now. I'm in the same phase where it's, you know, I started out, everything is just like a food blog and then that morphed into a podcast and then that morphed into wanting to share, you know, more personally on my Instagram. And now I'm in this in between. I keep telling my friends, I don't know, you know, it's just such a weird in between of here's my recipes and here's my heart, you know, spewed out in a caption, like, which way do I go? and it is true, though, that, you know, as far as speaking my truth, like tapping into that, like inner voice of mine, the, the personal things, the spirituality, the mental and emotional health, all those things I really, really care about. When I speak on those, I do, it feels different, you know, than just the, uh, <laughs> the recipes and the food and all of that. So I, I relate to that immensely. And um, you said you started out, you know, everything, your brand and with the food and blog and everything. Was that in correlation with your eating disorder? Like, did those go hand in hand or did one come before the other? It was. So the eating disorder came first. I had, uh, I was in treatment when I was 19, so in college. And after that, I was technically in recovery. Um, and I, I was, I was living it. I was you know, not participating in disordered behavior. Uh, I would have like triggers and moments, of course, but um, for the most part, prioritizing my health and working, uh, working hard at it. And then when I was about 23, so after college, immediately after college, that I went to treatment again uh, for women's trauma and PTSD, where I uncovered a lot more layers as for as to what really created that need for the eating disorder as a way to numb out. And it's, you know, eating disorders, in my opinion, are pretty much uh, synonymous with like an addiction. So why, why that addiction? And, and what about it helped us process and cope? Um, when I was in that second round of treatment, it was about four months long, I took time off of work, um, and was going every day, but wanted to come home and have something just like fun and creative to work on something that felt like not therapy related. <laughs> um, so I started my blog then. It began with my Instagram, but um, started just sharing meals and recipes. And I was getting in the kitchen. I didn't have a ton of money at the time. Like I didn't have the ability to say, you know, I didn't have my job. So I was cooking for myself a lot at home. And I just wanted every meal and every experience at home outside of that group therapy setting to be really nurturing and really loving and beautiful and intentional. So I started to 
cook really nourishing, vibrant foods because that's what I needed at that time. I was feeling less than energized and vibrant and really depleted energetically. So I was like, let me cook healthy recipes and make them beautiful and share them. Um, and I did feel very confident. I was still working through obviously a ton personally in my mental health, but I did feel very comfortable and confident in sharing um, things around mindful eating and intuitive eating because I had already had about four years of recovery at that point. So I did feel rooted and grounded in that practice. So um, I just thought there's got to be other, you know, women out there in a community of people who are struggling as well. And so I, I started to share and it felt really good to just have again, like a thing outside of therapy that I, that was mine that I could own about my life beyond just the, the bad things that were going on. <laughs> I love that. And I think for many of us, actually, a lot of people that I talk to who've gone through eating disorders or they now, you know, have Instagram or blogging, whatever it be, they kind of do start up around the same time. And a lot of people find the online community to be a, a, you know, a part of recovery almost. I mean, there's people holding you accountable in a sense of, you know, (laughs) they, they want to see you be healthy and happy and vibrant. And so I I love that. And I agree. That's, you know, how I started it too. But so where in that timeline then did the entire good fest thing part or good fest start up? Because that's like a whole other entrepreneurial side of your business. Oh my gosh. Yes. So that happened about a year, year and a half later. Um, okay. I've been blogging for a bit. It was starting to get some traction, especially in Philly. And I was trying to connect with um, people in the community because I wanted to hang out offline with with other like-minded people. And that's how I connected with Jess and Jen, who are two, my two partners in Goodfest. And um, we just started to hang out and because we had common interests that people from college and high school that we were still friends with maybe didn't want to go have, you know, smoothies and go to yoga. Like we were sick of going to happy hour. Um, so that was the original, original intention. And then we were having coffee one day and Jess kind of said, why not an event? And the three of us all had interest in event planning, but no formal background in it, but definitely in like hospitality and things like that. We were, we were like, we can figure this out. And um, we started working on it in the, the idea began in August of 2016 by April of 2017. So a little, little under a year later, we had our first event um, in Philly for 350 women. And we were like, oh, okay, there is a need here. There's a demand here. And we just were blown away by the response of our city. And I think a lot of it had to do, the success had to do with um, starting in a city that didn't have anything like it. So we, we wanted to provide that. And that's why when I speak to, to other entrepreneurs and women who are maybe not based in LA or New York, I'm like, no, trust me when I say there's a demand there. And to be honest, it's the reason why GoodFest was able to be a success. Because I think if we had started in maybe LA, which we did eventually take the event there, but that was after we had we had built kind of this proof of concept and we had built a community and an audience through it, um, which maybe would have been more difficult if we had tried to tackle a city that wasn't our own. So that's where it began. And from there, we, we started doing um, multiple events a year across the U.S., anywhere from Charleston to Austin to New York, um, and have done about like 12 now, different, different sizes and calibers, but um, all rooted in wellness from a very like, 360 degree degree view. Wellness is not just food and fitness. In fact, we like barely talk about those at Good Fast, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, it's been quite a journey. <laughs> I love that. And it's just so 
fascinating to watch something, you know, grow like that because I remember, so I was still in high school when you guys were starting out then. And I remember hearing you on a podcast and thinking, oh, wow, this fest, like I have to go. (laughs) It sounds so amazing and all up my alley. And then as I told you before we recorded, it was last year or in the fall, spring, whenever it was, you guys were, there was one in Philly and I wanted to go, but things didn't work out. But yeah, I mean, it just, even seeing like the speaker lineup you guys have, it's so evident that this is, you know, it's like what I like to call 360 wellness. So it's like mind, body, and spirit and fusing the physical with the mental and the emotional and focusing on like all aspects of health. So what, like, just to give people an idea of what type of topics you guys are covering besides, you know, the cliche food, health, wellness stuff, like what are some of the, you know, speakers, topics, events as part of GoodFest that have really, you know, stuck out to you personally, that have been some of your kind of like most influential, most inspiring ones? Really? So we, I loved, ooh, there's so many. Katie Dalebout is a really fantastic friend of mine and a couple times she's spoken, but she shared a lot about creativity. I loved her talk on that and empowering women through that. Um, Katie Horwich is another speaker who does an amazing job of just riling up our group and getting them to feel like incredibly powerful. Um, Kelsey Patel shared a lot on intuition. We've had Shan Boudrum speak on um, sexual health and uh, anything related to the female form. And she's just so good about making it like really, really approachable and not awkward at all. Um, We've had experts on astrology, breath work, um, crystals even. And then the more practical side too, we've had people speak about intuitive eating and what it really looks like. Um, hormonal health, human design. I mean, it's, it's running the gamut. And I think that that's what is really fun is we try to watch the trends of what people are intrigued by and get that expert on stage so that they can really shine. Um, the reason why the entire event has been in a a success at all is because of our speakers and our talent and we are, we are fully aware of that if they are such powerhouses in wellness and most of the time we actually um, when we approach them to speak simply say like what do you want to speak about right now what's lighting you up today because they're similar to us you and I in that they're dabbling in their different interests too and their businesses are constantly shifting so sometimes we'll reach out to um, like I remember Jordan Younger worked with us for the first event and she taught yoga and she was really immersed in her practice as a yoga teacher then and the next time we worked with her she wanted to speak more on like entrepreneurship and manifesting and I was like it's so fun to watch these speakers evolve with us with our audience too so that's been a gift. No and it is true I mean I know like, you know, all the speakers you listed and most of the ones you guys have, I've, you know, just followed them for years. And it is so interesting to watch how they shift and what they choose to speak about and, you know, how they, it's, you know, when you get them on a stage and they start speaking, they just kind of, it's like they come to life and it can be so much more transformative than, you know, just the captions they do or anything like that. So I love that. And, you know, you mentioned intuition and, in that I had wanted to ask you, you know, do you, did you follow, you know, your intuition when it came to the good fest at all? Like back then, were you as tapped into intuition as you are now? Did you let that guide any business decisions or, you know, was that something that kind of came along further down the road? Great, great question. I would say we did and we didn't. In a lot of ways, I think we looked for 
energetically people, places, venues, everything that felt aligned. I don't think that we, so what's tough about things like events and any business um, where there's a little bit more risk as far as like, you know, deciding on the date and putting down the deposits and things like that. It's very hard to weigh that, like the more masculine side of things, which is where you have to be come with a lot of logic and also balancing the feminine of how, how does this make sense and how does this actually feel? Um, so yeah, I think we were always looking to weigh the pros and cons and know that like it had to always remain really rooted and connected to our mission, which I, I believe we always stayed true to. Um, as far as the decisions around certain logistical things, no, we definitely followed uh, you know, what would make sense fiscally and what would make sense uh, from a business standpoint. And then later we looked back and we're like, our intuition was totally telling us that that wasn't the city or the time of year, but we tried anyway. But I think that that's, there's beauty in that too, though. I think that like for, for depending on the style of business, sometimes you have to just kind of take the risk and see if you can make it work and prove to yourself. That's where that resilience piece comes in that we talked about in the beginning, like where you make difficult challenging circumstances work regardless. So um, I definitely think that in, in the past year and a half, that's been, eh, I'd say two years, where I really started to get more in tune with my intuition and the beginning phases of GoodFest, I could have used it a little bit more, but that's okay. <laughs> and like you said, I mean, it is important because then you look back and when you're able to identify when your intuition wasn't in play is just as important as you know following it. Like look, I'm the same way where looking back, I can now identify where I went fully against my intuition and it bit me in the ass and I was able to grow from that. Like now I know, and it helps you actually like tune in even more into feeling and trusting and following that intuition. So, you know, say someone's just getting started and they're like, what the hell is intuition? How do I follow it? Like, how would you describe it? You know, just from your experience, your feelings with it like how did you first start tapping into it understanding it and learning to trust it you know when it when it is appropriate to follow that intuition sometimes you do have to go with <laughs> pure logic but you know how did that all start for you i think that um i think knowing the type of learner that you are is important so I say that because I think when we think of intuition, we think of people in meditation just receiving messages and it's just channeling through. It's so simple. That is not me. That's not my style of learning. And that's why I truly believe I'm an entrepreneur is because I have to be doing something in order to like grasp it. School was very difficult for me. Lecture style, reading my information didn't work. Like I had to get in there and practice. So it made no sense for me to think that I would sit down and just like receive these messages. Instead, I started to use um, my body and use tools, like physical representations. For me, that was tarot to start, um, and which I still do and practice every day. But from there, once I started to exercise it, I learned what my intuition would tell me through my body. So the sensations I would get and, you know, what it felt like in my stomach, what it felt like in my shoulders. Like I started to learn my body's clues because I was giving it the space to learn in the way that it's used to learning. Um, I hope that makes sense. But I guess, you know, learn the places that, that feel very easy for you. If you, if you get a lot of um, like intuitive hits or ideas or creativity when you're in motion and when you're like working out or something, that probably means that you're like a more, more in tap with like your body sensation than necessarily like the mind. Um, 
So I feel like also following where your creative states are is likely where you're, you're following your intuition because creativity to me is related to our child, which is the most intuitive side of us. So when you're expressing yourself in a way that's really pure and really easy, writing, painting, moving, whatever, likely your intuition is more accessible then. Oh, I love that so much. And I feel it's so true. I'm the same way where I've never been, like, I just, I learned by doing. Like, I I actually withdrew from college because at the time I had health issues, but also I just, I knew that, like, I would not learn the things I needed to learn unless I was physically doing them. Like, living through my mistakes, like, traveling, all these things I had to be doing hands-on and learning in the moment. And I found this very similar, like you were saying with the movement part. I never thought of it that way, but when I do get my intuition or my very creative, intuitive hits, any of that, it's usually like when I'm walking or when I'm creating or physically doing something, like moving that energy, I suppose, like through my body physically. So I think that is important to analyze. I mean, just like with everything else, like how do you learn? Because maybe sitting in meditation helps one person and going for a long walk in nature helps another. It depends. But yeah, I I love that. And, you know, as far as inner child work goes, how have you like tapped into that side of things? Because I'm starting to like dabble in the whole idea of, you know, healing and embracing and giving my inner child like room to grow and really like take place, you know, in me as far as intuition and creativity goes. So how did that work begin for you and how has that evolved like over time? So inner child work can be really scary for most. Uh, It feels vulnerable. It feels like it's going to resurface a lot of things that you don't necessarily want to look at again, but it can be some of the most healing. And I really, really believe deeply in it. Um, I felt supported by, I was working with a mentor when I really started it. And I felt super supported by her. And I knew that I had, I think it's important to have your support team around you when you start to friends, family, therapists, whoever, um, as well as your grounding practices. Because sometimes when you go back and you regress that way to to look at inner child stuff, um, when you return, you know, to the present moment, you really need things to help ground you. So just know what that is. Know the things that are going to make you feel safe and comfortable. Um, That said, though, it doesn't need to be this scary as I'm making it sound. But for me, I, this is where meditation actually did work for me. So I would go in to meditation, observe myself during a specific time in my life and just witness her and just see her and listen to her and allow her to communicate with me if she wanted to and what she needed to say that maybe she didn't get a chance to express. Um, so then my adult self would, would come back out of meditation again, ground down, feel safe and aware again, and then journal through what may be my responses to her or affirming her and assuring her of the things that as a child, she wasn't able to to process or understand in the same way that we can as adults. Um, And this like conversation, it feels really funny. Like I always, I remember my therapist suggested because one of my triggers is being in the car. Like I feel very, sometimes very like, shaky and and anxious when I'm in a car. So especially when I'm driving, which is interesting. Um, So when I'm driving and I can feel like that anxiety starts to mount, I I realize it was my inner child being like, are we okay? Are we okay? What's going on? Um, So my like speaking to her in that, in that situation, sometimes literally out loud, if I was in the car alone and being like, I have it under control. I'm an adult. I know how to drive safely. I have this, like, you don't have to worry. 
that started to make that anxiety lessen. And it feels really wild at the time, but it's like, we don't realize how much everyday environments like that were really affecting us as kids. So maybe if, if you are someone who experienced any kind of like hostility or, or nervousness around like being in a classroom or being in a car, you could still be holding that. And your logical adult mind knows that nothing's going on, but your inner child doesn't. So just give them that space to like say, hey, this is, this is making me feel scared right now. And then honor that, assure them and affirm them, and then you can move forward. I find that so interesting. So I, I've done EMDR therapy and, you know, my therapist was kind of going, you know, back and forth with the idea of, you know, if I had PTSD, just based off of past trauma I've gone through and the way I handle and act with things. And I've interviewed another friend of mine with PTSD from some severe trauma she faced as a child. And with both of us, we brought up in this other conversation, how cars make us very anxious. And even as, you know, like grown ass women, we still get like this weird feeling driving or being in a car alone or just being in a car in general. So to hear you, you know, say that too, it just, you know, it really does show that, you know, these things that seem so wild and out there and stuff like they, they hold truth. I mean, you can see it repeated in others and, you know, even just seeing it in yourself and accepting like, you know, even if no one else faces uh, car anxiety, like to, to accept the fact that you do and to allow yourself to move through that is so powerful. And what you said about, you know, grounding after doing any sort of work, but especially the inner child stuff, I agree fully because as I said, like my experience with the EMDR was great. I mean, I, I think it really helped open me up to a lot of things, but as you said, like I felt when I left it, I couldn't get out of that past. You know, it was, it was like, it was reliving. And I was almost, I actually went through a really, my therapist warned me that could happen, but I didn't have the tools, I don't think. And so I left, you know, those sessions and I, I had quite the regression backwards for a while and I couldn't figure out, you know, like what was wrong with me. And I had all this guilt and shame that I had reverted to all these old habits, you know, that at the time I didn't relate to that inner child work, but looking back now, you know, I see how it's all interwined, but, uh, so I agree, like having some sort of grounding practice, whether that's, you know, earthing in nature, meditation, uh, I don't know, whatever it is for people, I think that is like very crucial. So that's uh, like, if, if anyone's contemplating doing this type of work, I definitely agree with Kate here because I know, you know, I, I paid for it afterwards by not properly grounding and healing and, you know, facing that work in the right way. So. And the NPR is, I commend you, like it's a, it's an incredible tool and it does show that it can do wonders for trauma work. Um, but it is something that I feel like I had a therapist kind of trying to rush into EMDR and I was like, whoa, like luckily that was where my intuition spoke one time when I was younger. I was like, I don't feel ready for this. This doesn't feel right in my body. And I'm so glad I did because looking back, I definitely didn't have the grounding tools at the time or the... I didn't feel super supported. I was away at college, like, so pretty alone. Um, but yeah, I, I feel you on that. It's, it's a, it's a tool that's great, but needs a lot of research and preparation, I think, because it's so powerful. That's what's amazing about it is like, it has the ability to transform your thoughts and your mindset rather quickly, but that can feel like all of your, all of your typical coping mechanisms being like taken from you. <laughs> that was exactly it. I mean, you just feel like 
kind of stripped bare afterwards. So um, yeah, <laughs> I definitely feel that. Uh, but earlier you had mentioned the tarot and I had made a note to swing back to that. Now I've never done tarot. And so I'm curious, like if you could even explain, you know, what it is and you know, how it can benefit us in life. And then I wanted to talk cause you offer a course on it, right. To like teach, teach about it. So I want to hear like all about it because it's always fascinated me. I haven't yet dabbled in it. Haven't yet learned about it. So I'm curious to hear your experience with it. Yeah, I will try to keep this as brief as I can. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, but just reel me in if it starts to be too much. But I um, was first introduced to tarot actually in college. There was a tarot reader, like very much what you would expect. Like um, it, you go, I would go to her house and it was like all set up very witchy. There were like crystal balls. And looking back, I was like, why was I just like walking into this woman's living room so trusting? But I did. And um, I would go there for guidance and answers and it just felt good to be heard and to have something um, different, something that felt bigger than more outside of our physical world. It, it, it's metaphysical. It felt um, psychic and beautiful and, and very, I just was so intrigued. But I also felt a lot of shame around it. I didn't want to tell my friends that I was doing this. I didn't want to admit that I was spending money on it. Like I just felt kind of silly. Um, so I, I took a break after that. I moved back home and never thought about or touched tarot again until I met with that same mentor who I worked with. And she led a workshop where she incorporated them. And I just was really like attracted to, to the way she used tarot because it felt much more real. It felt less like fortune teller and more like a tool. Um, and she had a beautiful deck. And I, I walked up to her after the workshop. And that's kind of when we first started our our connection as like student mentor. And I was like, I want to know all about this practice. So I ended up working with her. I got my own deck, the same deck that she had, because it was the first one visually that I was like really drawn to. It's very dark. It has a lot of animals um, in the illustrations. It wasn't like angel cards or oracle cards at all. And I just started to pull a card a day. There's 78 cards. And over time, I've it's now been over two years of practicing daily, some way, shape, or form, um, and just learning them, learning the lessons and the themes that they represent. There's so much symbolism in them. There's so many, there's cycles that are represented, the numerology. It's just, it's very com complex, and it's a lot like yoga that, which I also did that training, and that was a really cool eye-opening experience of, like, the knowledge is endless in both in both spaces. So like, I'll never know everything there is to know about yoga or tarot. And I think that's why it's really fun for me. Um, so I continued my practice. I started to uh, read for anybody that was willing and, and allowed me to do. So like family that were totally not into it, they still let me read for them, friends. And it eventually became something that I felt more confident in and started to um, incorporate on retreats and really made a part of my, part of my teaching. Um, it was, it started as a supplement. It started as a thing that I would kind of like a, almost like a party trick that I would do at the end of my yoga classes or something like that. Um, but then I started to realize that that was the thing that was resonating with people most and that they were like asking, you know, messaging me later being like, tell me more, tell me more. Um, they just loved that we cracked open the conversation and I gave them permission to explore something that felt very like witchy for lack of a better word. Um, so yeah, that's how that began. And now I, I do teach um, 
a course that's six weeks that is meant to empower women um, in a group setting to share what the cards are bringing up for them and their process as well as get to try uh, reading for each other. That's the most fun part. Um, and then I do like my one-on-one -on -one readings. I still do it uh, at events, which is really fun. I'll go to an event and read for like 20 people in a row and I'm like, holy moly. But it's, it's so great to just connect with those people for a couple minutes one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so yeah, Tara's become a really big part of my my business, which I never ever thought I would say, but it's been, I think, a way to kind of niche down and differentiate myself a bit. There's um, plenty of incredible healers and tools and, and people sharing their gifts. So the more you can find your specific thing, um, I think the better, which has been really nice. I love what you said about how it opens the door, you know, to something more, because I feel similarly where I'm, I told you in the beginning, I'm from middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. I've never had been exposed to any of the, what I like to call like the fun stuff. You know, when I first went out West to California was, you know, where I discovered Reiki and Oracle cards and all sorts of, you know, breath work and meditation and all the, all the fun, all the, you know, expansive, evolving spirituality kind of sorts. And it is interesting how, you know, once you know, like working on it with someone else kind of allowed me to accept, even accept it into my life. I'd never would have dabbled in any of it had I just been, you know, on my own. So I love that you open the door for others to do that as well. But I, so like with the tarot, you said you pull every day. Is mm -hmm. there, you know, like a routine or something you do to yeah. get in a place before you pull? Because I, once more, I, it fascinates me, but I don't know much. Yeah. Great question. And I, it, it's a combo. I think it depends on some days I really like intentionally read for myself and bring, I don't want to say a problem, but a situation in my life that I want to explore. So in that case, I do take a moment, center myself, take deep breath, get in a, get in a place to like receive and really um, kind of like ask my guides to like come through in that moment. That, however, especially when reading for yourself, can get really draining. It's hard to, and I notice that when people first get their deck, they're asking it a million things. And I, I try to let them know to limit it, limit it a bit because it's hard to remain objective and it's just kind of going to burn you out and it's going to get you too cloudy um, because you start to like over-exercise your intuition and ask for too much from it. So I like to say, yes, a daily, I do believe very deeply that working with your cards often for me, it's every day. It can be different for the individual, but infuses the cards with your energy and it gives you a deeper connection to them so that you guys can like co-create. So when you're reading for someone else, your, your cards feel like an extension of you just expressing your intuition to them. Um, so that's why I think it's important to, to connect with your cards every day, but it could be something as simple as just cutting the deck and pulling the first card on top just to like remind yourself of that that definition or theme. I think it's, you know, I see the, the imagery and it like evokes like my, my immediate response of like, oh, I know what that feeling is. I know what that intention is, all of that. And it just keeps your skills kind of, it's just like anything, you know, if you want to be a great basketball player, you have to practice. Um, it's just that kind of mindset. So I'd say balance the two, balance intentional readings for yourself with a grounding practice first and then do the other kind of just fun in the moment stuff to more so continue to sharpen your skills. Okay. That definitely makes sense. And you mentioned it in passing when you were describing too, but when it comes to, you know, pulling a tarot card, 
but then also you mentioned, you know, the Oracle, Oracle cards or, you know, I've, I've, I think before I was doing something with the moon deck by Ariana Lee. So like, what's the difference between say, for instance, like the Oracle, Oracle cards and tarot cards? Like if there is a major difference you could point out. Yeah, there's, um, I'd say the Oracle and angel cards are much more just messages from your guides. I would say they typically are just, you know, what's, what's the message today or whatever it is that you're asking it. But tarot is a little bit more, I'd say they're more up for interpretation too, uh, based on like the author and the creator of the deck. So the, um, tarot is, is a pretty like thematic thing. Like uh, the major arcana represents a full life cycle and certain cards are just, they are what they are a little bit. They're a little bit more definitive. I also feel like they explore the gifts and shadows of life a bit more. I feel like Oracle cards are more so the messages of hope um, and healing, which is why they're a beautiful supplement to tarot as well. There's a lot of people who will read both at the same time and maybe pull some tarot cards and then supplement with the, the action of the the Oracle card and the Oracle decks, because that's kind of like the message the guides are saying about the situation you just explored. So that's where it gets complex and it takes practice and it takes getting comfortable with them. And I think it also takes, um, you know, a, a little bit of respect for them, understanding that like these, these tools and these messages are an extension of your subconscious. So don't, don't use it lightly. Don't just like, you know, throw them out and, and, and believe that this is going to be the answer. Know that it, it takes work. It takes rewiring your own thoughts and actions and doing things differently. Um, a card is a card. It's a piece of card stock, literally. It's not going to change your life. But if the message triggers you to take the action, perfect. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it's taking control of, you know, for your actions too. I mean, something I'm, really working on in, well, you know, since 2020 has started and kind of going back and forth with it. But I realized how, you know, kind of lacking I am when it comes to keeping a promise to myself. So, you know, it's like I, I pull a card or I do a meditation or I do something and you get this feeling and you want to make the change, you want to take the action. And then you just kind of slack and you don't let it go and you, you don't keep that promise to yourself you know, and I'm such a people pleaser. I will keep my promises to everyone else, it seems, except for myself. So I think that's kind of what's drawing me towards the cards and that type of daily practice is that it's like a way to keep a promise to yourself to, you know, stay true to yourself and not just, you know, let your priorities go to the wind, so to speak. Totally. And it's accountability. And this is where like the magic of them kind of comes in. You will see the same card over and over again if you're ignoring it and you're not doing what it's asking, you know, you to to do and the actions it's asking you to take. So I remember that and I tell everyone that I like am first telling them about my experience with tarot is I was getting like the death card over and over and I was like, well, this is not fun. (laughs) This is not cute. But I was getting it just before ending my five-year relationship that I had known needed to end for a while and um, just wasn't ripping the Band-Aid off. And that's what the death card is actually representing. Like, this is so definitely decided for you that it's it's actually a positive card because it's about rebirth. A rebirth is on the way because um, the ending has already been kind of decided. And so to see that repetitively was heartbreaking, but also like, all right, I hear you guys. <laughs> like, you have to just do it. You have to just follow through. I love that. And it is, it is true. I mean, as with everything, if, 
if some message is really trying to come come at you or some intuitive hit, like it will, <laughs> it will keep showing up in different ways until it grabs your attention or teaches you a lesson. So I feel that. Uh, and something I wanted to touch on, you know, briefly before wrapping up here is that, you know, taking it back a bit when it comes to starting your own business and, you know, going through an eating disorder and all these things that I have in common with you and so many others do as well is, you know, something I personally struggle with. And I know a lot of people in my audience have, you know, I've done questions and polls about it is just the idea of control. And, you know, how as humans, I mean, of course you want to control things. It makes us feel safe or loved or happy in a sense. So when it comes to, you know, recovering from your eating disorder and building a business and doing all these beautiful things you've done in your life, like how have you learned to let go of that control and always wanting to control things and instead, you know, following your intuition and kind of living in a flow state and being open to change without always having control over your situation or surroundings? Yeah, I think it's just the deep understanding and it's hard, but the understanding that um, if it's heart-centered work, it will be received really well. So as long as whatever you're doing is truly heart-centered, it's not because it's popular, it's not because it's trending, um, it's all going to work out. Not to say that there isn't a tremendous amount of patience that's required, but that's why, you know, when, when the food blog wasn't growing anymore and was feeling stagnant and stale, it was no coincidence. And um, good fast, we've had to take a lot of shifts in heart heart opening conversations and being like, does this make sense anymore? Does the old model work? That said though, it's, it's not when it's heart led too, and it feels really real and raw in that place. It's hard sometimes not to pivot continuously to try to be seeking it. So find, find patience and grace with yourself because if you're constantly chasing out of fear of failure and you're hopping from one thing to the next is a way to fix i'm using like air quotes to those listening to fix the problem you're not gonna you're gonna be chasing for a long time so just in business in life in recovery let it come with so much patience but be driven entirely from the heart and i especially i remember with recovery there was kind of like Phase one of recovery was doing it for other people, doing it for my family, doing it for my friends, the people that were begging me to, to get better because they were worried about me. And I wanted to show up for them and I wanted to help them, but it wasn't until I was ready to kind of recover for myself and, and actually do it for me that I was like, it became a lot more real. Um, and it felt more like a lifestyle change. It felt more like my new reality rather than this you know, right now I'm eating well. And right now I've stopped exercising because my parents were really scared. Um, so that was a huge shift. And that's when I think it, it left my head. It left the logic of, oh no, people are worried about me. And my parents are saying I have to. So I was young, you know, I was still relying on them um, during this time. And it, it went into my heart where I was like, okay, regardless of the outside forces and what my therapist is saying, I actually want this too. Um, so do that with your business too. Don't, don't, it's important to be led by your audience and their needs, but know that your audience will find you if you're radiating from your heart. Oh, I love that so much. I've had a hard time, I feel like, with operating for a while. I, I just feel like I closed my heart off, you know, with pain and grief and stuff from my past. And this past year, I've been really trying to open it up because leading from a heart-centered place is truly where, like, you know, those are the posts and the products and the episodes and the ones that do the best because they are, you know, truly from the heart. And it's 
you know, the, the energy of them is just better, to be honest. I mean, people can feel it, I swear, in the content. So I love that. And as our closing thing, do you have a practice or anything you do, you know, to open your heart up, to just let a little bit more of that good energy in, let a little bit more of the good energy out, anything you do that helps with that? Lately, I've been, this is just like what I'm doing currently. I feel like it changes. Um, but right now, I've been writing a lot more, creative writing, just for myself. And maybe it's journaling. I don't know. But I noticed that when I do it in the form of a letter, I recently shared shared this on Instagram. When I write it in the context of a letter, and it can be to someone else, it could be to myself, or it could, to be, it could be to a feeling, um, I notice that I speak really, really honestly when I'm addressing it that way. So that's been like a great place to get into my feels lately. Like, uh, especially when I, when I write letters to things like my only child or to triggers or to something or to my body, like that immediately gets me feeling extremely raw and emotional. Um, so that's nice. And then I can process a little bit there privately and then decide how to take that into the world. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that could also help with the issue I sometimes face and I've had friends, you know, we chat about how you want to share something so badly and then you share it and you feel like maybe you shared a little bit too much or, you, you know, yeah. you just kind of rambled on a bit. You were a bit too much in your feels. So I love that idea of writing a letter to whatever it is, yourself, an object, an idea, a feeling, emotion, and getting the real, real, real out there and then kind of condensing it and deciding what how to turn that into a message, how to turn that into a way to help others. And I'm glad you said that because that literally happened the other night and I'm human, you know, like I, I have my feelings that are less than pretty. And, um, I was really upset with a friend and something that they had done. And I just started writing like on my laptop, had all the rage out. So I knew that I couldn't go to sleep holding that. And I also knew that it wasn't appropriate to just dump it on them. Like it, we weren't in a healthy space to speak about it yet. And I reread it the next day. I'm like, thank God I didn't. <laughs> like that would have been detrimental to this relationship. But it felt so good in the moment because sometimes we as humans, and that's that fire in us. That's the masculine that we as women are allowed to feel. We're allowed to say, fuck you sometimes, but not always in the, in the right time and place. So if you need to write it and, and feel through it, do it. Do what you got to do. Oh, I love Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm sure we've all been there. You you write out a journal entry or whatever, a letter to yourself. And yeah, you look at, back at it the next day and it's just like, wow, I didn't know I had that in me. <laughs> but that's, that's the beauty of it is we can feel with such depth, which is why we can do so many incredibly hard things and like, and things that we never imagined we could. And that's why our stories are so important is because all of it shapes all of it. You know, our feelings, our actions, our experiences it's it's really cool how they how it morphs into this like dynamic really vastly rich in in person and human yeah I mean just putting all of your quirks and you know personality put it all together into one and yeah it becomes your story your journey uh so I love that you are such a light I could I mean talk about every topic with you uh, I will definitely be going to the next good fest whenever the world returns to normal and um yeah i'm just thank you again and if you could let everyone know where to find you you're doing lots of stuff you're you have wait you have another you have a movement like yeah, yeah so go ahead tell us where you're at and then just 
people know what all you offer. <laughs> Instagram at kate.van.porn. Um, and that's where I post anything from the latest events for Goodfest to um, my tarot offering. So that's one-on-one -on -one readings as well as the course. And then I, especially now during this time where we need more virtual um, spaces more than ever, I have started teaching my um, movement class in body online starting this week actually. So excited to continue to share that and all the updates will be on my Instagram and website. Perfect. What a fire conversation. As I mentioned in the intro, we really did discuss like 101 things in this, but I'm so happy we did. Kate is just such a radically expansive human. She has done so much, a beautiful soul, and I'm so excited for you guys to hopefully continue to, you know, follow along her journey and learn from her and be inspired by her. You can find her on Instagram at Kate Van Horn. That is Kate.Van.Horn. And I'm on there at Emily Feichels and at Let's Thrive Podcast. We would love to connect and let us know if you listen to the show. Thank you, as always, for supporting and listening. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.